0: Welcome again to our study of the book of Mark. In this video, we will be in Mark chapter 11. We're gonna see several things in this chapter and really for the most part, it's kind of a short chapter, but it is very, very important because in this chapter, this is when Jesus comes to Jerusalem. Now we know how things are gonna go and okay, fast forward a week after we read this passage and we know that, that after Jesus gets into Jerusalem, one week later, they end up crucifying him. But during this first week, this is what kind of some of the things that start to happen are. This is what we're going to see in Mark chapter 11. So let's let's look at those things together now. Now, this first story, what I want us to do is, is we're going to read just kind of a few verses at a time and, and sort of piece it together. Uh, but this is when he enters into, in, into Jerusalem. This is how he does it. Verses 1 through 3. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden untie it and bring it here if anyone asks you why are you doing this say the lord needs it and will send it back here shortly Okay so this passage Jesus is making plans really before he kind of gets into this area he's making plans sending some of his disciples ahead of uh, ahead of time to be able to prepare these things uh, for the Lord. Now the Lord is coming, Jesus is talking about himself using the term Lord, uh, which is also kind of very interesting because the word Lord, it means two different things. On the one hand, it does mean master and he is the one who is the teacher, he's the master, even of us today. But also Lord is is a term that's used about God, the, the God that we read about Yahweh in the Old Testament. So the fact that Jesus says the Lord needs it, I think he's saying both things. He's saying that God needs it. He himself is is speaking as the one who is God in the flesh. And he is the one who needs this animal at this time. And this animal is going to serve a purpose. So we see that you probably kind of know this image that whenever Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he's riding on this donkey. Well, this is how he got that donkey. It was a borrowed animal and it was borrowed because it was needed by the Lord at this time. Verses four through seven, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their coats over it, he sat on it. Okay, so this is setting up here with this colt. This colt, they just kind of start to untie it. And as you could imagine, if you were one of those disciples and Jesus tells you, OK, go here and you'll find this colt. And, you know, you find everything just like what he says. But then you start untying it. And then somebody says, why are you doing that? Well, you know, you kind of would start to wonder, OK, well, Jesus told me to do that. But here in this passage, Jesus even tells them what to say. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, we, we don't know more details about how this happened. You know, who who are these people who own this animal? We're not told. But apparently they had either worked something out ahead of time with Jesus or they were so faithful to God that they were willing to just let anybody just untie their animal and use it because the Lord needed it. Whatever the case, I think that what we see here is they're servants of God. Whether or not they were set up ahead of time, they were serving God and they were willing to do whatever God asked for. I mean, you know, why does God need that animal? They don't know i mean but they do know that god needs it the lord needs it and they are willing to work with god in this case so this is what happens when jesus rides on that animal into jerusalem verses 8 through 11 now many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields those who went ahead and those who followed shouted hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the coming kingdom of our father david Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So this passage, uh, you know, obviously I guess kind of one thing I overlooked, I didn't didn't exactly mention this. Uh, Mark doesn't specifically mention it either though, but this whole thing about the cult, uh, that's actually a prophecy uh, from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 9, 9 uh, prophesies about a king riding Uh, on this donkey coming into Jerusalem. And whenever he does come into Jerusalem, everybody's shouting out Hosanna. And you know, to us, that sounds like, oh, that's a really cool religious term. Actually to them, what Hosanna was, it was a cry of, of asking for salvation, asking for deliverance. And who are they asking? Well, they're asking this man, Jesus, who is coming in the name of the Lord. They are asking this one, who they speak about this coming kingdom of our father, David, they recognize he's the messiah they recognize he is their king that's why they welcome him they celebrate him coming in and they're asking please save us help us deliver us that's what they want jesus is going to do that but perhaps in a very different way than what they might be expecting i also want to draw your attention to what he does whenever he comes into jerusalem verse 11 tells us that he went into the temple courts and he looked around at everything. What did Jesus see whenever he went into the temple courts? Well, we're going to read in just a little bit about how he went in and he turned over those tables, remember? And we've kind of looked at that in a, in a sermon not too long ago as well. Well, this passage, it says that he looked around at everything. So later on, whenever we see that he comes into the temple and he overturns the, the tables and, and he drives out everybody who is, who is conducting that type of business there, guess what? He didn't just stumble upon that and recognize, oh wow, okay, this is you know, going on and doesn't need to be. No, he actually planned this. He already, right here in verse 11, he goes into the temple. He looked around at everything. What did he see? Well, I mean, it stands to reason that he saw the very things that, that he's going to, to criticize later. But before he gets that, mark includes this interesting story right before we get to the jesus overturning the the tables at the temple this is what we read now i will warn you this passage seems out of place i don't think it is at all i think it is extremely fitting and i'll explain to you why first let's read this story verses 12 through 14. the next day as they were leaving bethany jesus was hungry seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf he went to find out if it had any fruit when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Okay, so let's pause here. Right now, it seems like random story. And we might be thinking, why did Mark include this? I mean, Mark is this gospel that is so much, you know, one of his favorite words in case you haven't kind of noticed this, one of his favorite words is like immediately. And, you know, like he just keeps saying, okay, so this thing happened and this thing happened. And immediately after that, this thing happened. And he just goes on and on and on. He is using such little space, but he's saying so much about this gospel message. So why did he tell us this random story? It's because it's not a random story at all. We look at this. There's a few reasons why it seems strange to us. One of them is, okay, what does figs have to do with with any of this stuff? Well, if we keep reading, we'll see. And, but we have to go you know, right after the temple story because he's going to go into the temple and then go back to the figs, uh, that back to that fig tree. And I think the, the fact that you have this story about the fig tree, you have the temple, then you have another story about the, about the fig tree, it creates a sandwich. Um, and there's something to learn from it. Now, we look at this fig tree. Another thing that's kind of confusing is this. This was always confusing to me at least. So it wasn't the season for figs. Did Jesus know that? I mean, yeah, he knew that. Jesus knew that it wasn't the season for figs. Why was he expecting figs on this this tree? Now, I don't have much uh, experience with, you you know, uh, fig trees at all, Uh, okay? Actually, I guess about the only experience I have with figs is just kind of eating little cookies that are made from them. You know, I don't even know how much those resembles the fruit. But anyways... You probably kind of experienced that too. So maybe the next time you see uh, one of those little fig cookies, then you'll you'll think about this passage and and what Jesus did right here. But Jesus, he saw this fig tree that it was in leaf. It's my understanding that if these fig trees are going to produce the leaves, they would also be producing fruit uh, at the same time. And if they weren't going to be producing fruit whenever they were producing the leaves, then that means that it wasn't going to be a fruitful tree anyways. That's why Jesus uh, kind of curses this this fruit tree. It's weird to us, but it does make sense. The fig tree looks like, you know, it's got everything in order. It's got these leaves and, you know, from a distance it would look perfect. But when you get closer, you find out it's not right. It's not bearing fruit like it should be. That's why Jesus curses it. So keep this in mind as we look at this next story. Verses 15 through 19. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Okay, so now it seems like, you know, another story. I think these two stories are tied together for a few different reasons. You look at Jesus overturning the tables. He knew what he was going to find whenever he went into the temple. He'd already done it. He already did, did that back in verse 11. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he just went out with the twelve. But then, whenever he comes back on the next day, he comes to Jerusalem he goes in the temple courts knowing very well what he's going to find. He came with a plan, a plan of action. He was disappointed at what was going on in the temple. And you can kind of read this as a, as a few different um, kind of ways. You know, maybe some people, they look at this and they say, well, well, you know, they didn't have their priorities right. They, they were doing all this buying and selling and stuff. And I think it really goes so much deeper than that. If you really look at, at the temple and kind of the, the uh, surrounding area, uh, it was a large area that would be kind of considered the temple courts, you know, this phrase that keeps kind of showing up here. Um, but the temple courts, what they did whenever they made the temple, th- this temple in particular, see, there's um, that they, they originally were given the plans for the tabernacle way back in Moses' day. Then during the days uh, of David and, and more specifically Solomon, uh, they built a temple. So they turned those tent instructions into a permanent structure. Well, because of disobedience, that permanent structure got destroyed and then they rebuilt it later. And now, um, Herod has been doing kind of some renovations with it and expanding all these things. So originally, the whole uh, kind of the small holy of holy places and then the uh, the most holy place, the holy place and then the outer courts and everything was kind of how the tabernacle was set up. But the temple had a few other areas and it expanded a lot bigger area than just what that small tabernacle would have taken over. So this passage right here, I believe what we see, because he quotes in verse 17, this passage, that my house would be called the house of prayer for all nations. Part of the, the division that they would have had in this temple was an area for the Gentiles to be able to worship God. Now, the Gentiles couldn't come you know, as close as what a Jewish person could come. And, and by the way, Gentile it just means somebody from a different nation other than Jews. Um, and and they, they had kind of this designated area that they could only come so close. And it seems, based on kind of what Jesus says and what he's talking about, it seems that where they were setting up these tables was in that area that was supposed to be for the nations. So if you were a Gentile, and if you wanted to come to the temple, the only place that you had to come was like a marketplace where it was loud, it was noisy, it was conducting all these types of business. That's not really what a place of prayer should be like. That's not what God intended for this place of prayer. That's why Jesus was upset. He was upset because they turned this very thing that was supposed to be a place of worship into something that was very difficult to worship God. And he sent them out. He knew what he was getting into and he went into it. And he tried to do something about it. He did do something about it, and he upset a lot of people. That's why we see here. This is not the first time that uh, something like this is stated in verse 18. But now we see these chief priests and these teachers of law. They were looking for a way to kill him. Um, people have already, you know, this has already been stated. We've kind of seen this a few chapters ago. With uh, I believe that time it was the Pharisees before. Um, they they were wanting to kill Jesus, but now what we see is. Uh, now it's not just the Pharisees, but now it's the chief priests as well. And then it's also these teachers of law. So a lot of different people are wanting Jesus out of the picture because they're, he's disrupting what they're doing. But really what they were doing was just a, a corruption of what should have been done in the first place. They should have been worshiping God and I'm uh, making the temple a place where other people could worship God as well. So what we see when Jesus enters into this temple is a temple that from the outside looks like it should should have everything in order, and it should be a great place to worship God, but it's a fruitless temple, just like that fig tree. That's what I think that the the story of the fig tree is all about, is it's like like what the temple was. The temple looked like everything was, was going great, but it really wasn't. It wasn't bearing the fruit that it was supposed to. So that's why we started off a fig tree story, then we have overturning the temples, because it wasn't right. Something need to be done. And now what we're going to see is going back to the fig tree. Verses 20 through 25. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you will receive it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So this passage, we're going back to the fig tree. Okay, it's a sandwich story. And all of it comes down to this focal point is the temple was not the place that it was supposed to be. It wasn't serving this function this role it wasn't bearing the fruit that it was supposed to bear and because of that you see literally a tree that was not bearing the fruit that it was supposed to bear and it was cursed it's kind of an an image about what will happen to the temple you know that's why Jesus overturned the uh, overturned the tables at the temple at first but if that wasn't enough harsher things were coming to the temple and we actually know from history that harsher things did come to the temple we'll get to that in uh, upcoming chapters, though, but yeah, the temple they refused to to correct it, and because of that, it, it was going to be cursed by God. It was going to be um to to be done away with. But then Jesus also teaches something with this fig tree. He teaches the importance of prayer, and he says some some wonderful statements and ones that we need to to recognize here. That you know, whatever you ask for in prayer, if we believe it, then we can receive it. And I mean, that's a beautiful image. It's a beautiful idea to understand. But then we also see another lesson about when we go before God. Verse 25, it says that, look, if you're standing and you're praying, and if you're holding anything against anyone, you need to forgive them. And why do we need to forgive them? Well, Jesus said, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. We talk about receiving forgiveness of sins. And that is so wonderful that we can have those forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. But if we ourselves are not willing to forgive other people, then we're not going to have our own sins forgiven. So yes, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. He did do that. But we also have to share that forgiveness and be willing to forgive other people so that that forgiveness can come to us as well. And so that all ultimately will be able to be forgiven of these things our relationship with God and our prayer relationship with God is so important we need to keep these things in mind and learn these lessons from the fig tree and learn these lessons that Jesus is teaching his people during this day and also during our day as well well as you could imagine when Jesus goes into the temple courts he sees all these things and he he disrupts their traditions he disrupts their habits well it created a little bit of problems for him and for those that were in the temple, you know, the the religious leaders at least. That's why we get one more story in this chapter. Mark 11, verses 27 through 33. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origins? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, well, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus answers their question in a way that he didn't really answer it, but yet he did. Okay, we see back in verse 27, he's going back into the temple courts. I mean, it's kind of interesting. We've seen, what, at least three times here. We see that he's entered into the temple courts. He does it in verse 11. He did it again in verse 15, and now he's doing it again in verse 27. He's entering into the temple courts again. By the way, the temple courts was a big deal. Uh, for the Jewish people. I mean, that's that's where their worship took place. He enters into this place. And these chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, they came to him and they have a question. What authority? You know, what? why does he, who is he that he can do these things? Who is he claiming to be? They want to know. And he answers their question by saying, by, by asking that question of, well, John's baptism. Tell me about John's baptism. You know, what, what authority did he have? Jesus, of course, is applying, uh, implying that John's baptism and the authority that John had is the same authority that, that Jesus had. Really, we know that Jesus even has more authority than John himself. But John's baptism, it was from heaven. Now, they didn't want to re- respond to that because, well, they they knew that it was putting them in a, in a difficult situation. So they say that, you know, well, we don't know. We don't know by what authority he was doing those things. And Jesus doesn't say that he's he's going to re- that, that uh, he just says, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. He says he's not going to answer it, but really part of his question and part of his answer, it really is an answer. And that is, it's the same authority that John came. John came to prepare the way for the Lord.
1: Well, now the Lord
0: has come and he has, is coming with the authority that's the, the name of the Lord. Going back to verse nine, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is Jesus. Jesus is blessed and he's coming in the name of the Lord. Jesus came. He came with the same authority. Were they going to listen to that authority? They had the choice. Just like we have the choice today. Will we choose to listen to the authority that Jesus has? Listen to the words that he tells us. The teachings that he tells us. Because there's so much that we can learn if we just open up the word of God and read it. And learn from it. And apply it into our lives and be a doer of the word, not just a hearer alone. Let's do that. Let's make sure that we live out the authority of Jesus in our own lives every single day.